Welcome to the General Knowledge Podcast. It is a big idea, a new world order. By the military industrial complex. Folks, here it is, uh, General Knowledge Podcast, uh, another wonderful episode for my beautiful Patreon people. Thanks for joining us, guys. I've got a uh, returning guest back on the show. He's uh, previous show, we talked about things like uh, the Titanic Conspiracy, which was an awesome episode, a lot of good feedback on that one, so I hope everyone enjoyed that one as well. Um, but I've got him back again. John Hamer is with me tonight, and this evening show, we're going to have a chat about um, basically money, um, banks and all this sort of stuff, how wealth is controlled and uh, created and all this sort of business and where it's going in the future, uh, how it's used to control societies and all that sort of stuff. But before we get into all that, I wanted to actually just ask a um, quick chat to John about what's happening over there in the UK. From what I hear, your uh, restric- restrictions and stuff, John, are supposed to finish and wind up in, uh, what, about the 19th of July or something? Is that is that still happening, do you think, or is this all just hogwash? Uh, hi, mate. Yeah, good to be back. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, yeah, well, I think it is going to happen, um, but how long it will last, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't suspect it will last too long at all. I, I, it, the whole thing is just contradictory because we've just been inundated with stuff about, you know, oh, the NHS is going to be overwhelmed again because of opening the country up too soon. Um, you know, just full of media scare stories, you know, the usual stuff about mm-hmm. how the, you know, the variant is taking hold and it's creating havoc in, <laughs> in, the, in society. And yet they're opening the damn thing up. So I just can't, you know, there's no logic there at all unless... The idea is to, um, you know, turn around in a couple of weeks and say, oh, well, we've made a mistake, we're going to put the whole place down again, you know. That, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, that's uh, a, that's a real possibility. Yeah. Well, they, the only reason yeah. why I say it's a possibility, yeah. John, is because that's what they've been doing here in Australia. That's that's modus operandi for here. Um, like we've, yeah. we've been, uh, we had a lockdown uh, a week ago in Brisbane where I am in Queensland and then 
it ended, so they kept the restrictions, you know, mask wearing and all that sort of crap for another a week afterwards. And it was supposed to end tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And now we just heard this afternoon, oh, there's two new cases somewhere in, in Brisbane. Oh, we need another week of mask wearing and more you know, restrictions. So they've just, you know, the carrot and the stick, mate. They've just, you know, walked down the road a little bit longer. Um, yes, and that's, yeah. that's what we're experiencing right now. Um, Sydney's still going through lockdowns and um, restrictions. Melbourne, we just heard today that they're going to lock down Victoria again or Melbourne, I'm not sure if it's a whole state or just a city. Um, but they, yeah, they announced that just this afternoon, only a few hours ago. They're back in for another another week or so, or who knows how long of uh, more. This is and this is their fifth their fifth lockdown. So they come in, they go out. They come in, they go out, and it's people are just left in this perpetual state of confusion with what's going on, what's what the rules are, and it's all by design, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. That's what uh, exactly what I was going to say. It's all just to keep people in a state of fear and apprehension and wondering what the hell is going on. You know, nobody knows from one day to the next, you know, you can't make any plans, you know, mm. it's just absolute, it's just creating confusion and anxiety. That's all they're doing. Yeah. Just, it prevents and, people you know, from rallying together to organize and, you know, do all this, uh, anything, yeah. anything to try and return to normalcy, you know, but the real reason they're doing it here, John, is because our um, vaccine or can we call it a vaccine, our gene therapy uptake here for the for the COVID nineteen shot is so de- it's so poor. I mean, they they're telling us that we're up to about twenty percent, and I think it's actually even less than that. And we've only got a population of about twenty six million people. So I mean, you know, what's yeah. what's that two point four point five point two million people roughly is what they're saying have had the full vaccination for their COVID jabs. Um, but we've yeah. we've heard from um, the AVN here in Australia the. Um, um, Australian Anti-Vaccination uh, Network, um, that a whistleblower came out and said that the numbers they're telling the um, you guys outside the media are putting out is false. That's the number of what? vaccines, we'll call them vaccines, um, that's the number of vaccines that have been issued to and distributed to like surgeries and GPs and all this sort of stuff. That number that people have actually yeah. used is 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 even less again. It's probably only about twenty percent of the twenty percent they're telling us. So it's that low here, and this is right. why they're, they're continually punishing. And I say it's punishment because that's what they're doing. They're punishing us because our vaccine uptake is so low, and they're trying to scare people to get more and more of this uptake going because it's it's going to waste. I mean, yeah. we've we've had we're donating these vaccines which are about to expire overseas to Indonesia because we can't they can't use them here. No one wants them. You know? So it's just ridiculous. So that's yeah, why they're back in lockdowns and restrictions all over the place in Australia. Yeah. Talk, South Australia, Tasmania, all these other states are all experiencing more and more harsher restrictions and lockdowns in this week alone and coming up um, because the vaccine is uh, uptake is so low. But we've been told that you know the UK um, that they're hitting their margins and everyone's getting their double shots and everything's going really well. That's what we're hearing on the news over here you know, that the UK rollout is doing really well and that's why they're going to end the restrictions but yeah. I just find that hard to believe yeah me too I mean th- this is what they're telling us all the time you know oh they've hit this target and that target now and but yet the media is still pushing the vaccinations you know really heavily as though we've not made the target <clears throat> mm. you know so to me it just tells me that you know they're lying as usual they're yeah. lying I don't think they've, I don't think they've vaccinated half as many people as they say they have and, mm. and, and all this stuff is just meant to uh, 
to um, you know make people rushing up to you know yeah artificial scarcity and all that sort of shit yeah yeah, exactly. And actually, exactly. I was going to tell uh, you, yeah, John, one of the cases that they said is here in Brisbane. Uh, so there was three, two, two out of a hotel quarantine, and one from an airport worker. And this airport worker is fully vaccinated, and yet now they test positive. So everyone's like going to the media. Um, what the hell? Like this person's been fully vaccinated. Why is? Uh, why are they? Why have they got COVID? You know, like doesn't that mean it doesn't work? And you know, so the media is copying it sweet yeah, here. Yeah. On social media, especially, but uh, yeah. they're a laughing stock, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the message just, just seems to me, seems to me to be, uh, your mask doesn't work unless I'm wearing one. <laughs> um, the vax doesn't work. Your vax doesn't work unless I get one myself. Um, you know, so you know, it, it's great. All this control each individual has. Mm. You know, they, they, they're just, you know, this agenda. They're just lying to us. You know, they're saying that the masks don't work unless, you know... Unless everyone's masked, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just absolutely nuts. Yeah, drives us crazy. But anyway, me and my colleagues will get into that on our um, show on the weekend anyway, so I won't bore our listeners with with any more of that. I'm sure they're uh, up to date with all the things that is happening, uh, and they're as frustrated and annoyed as we are. Um, But yeah, let's push on for um, for the, uh, the topic for this evening's show now. Um, oh, I have forgot yeah. to get your website up. Um, I'll just grab it now so I can go over it again. And the title, because you wrote about this particular topic already. Um, in it wasn't the falsification oh, yeah, of history. It was um, what was the one that you wrote with regards to your banking and all that sort of stuff? I'm trying to remember. Behind the, cur- Behind the curtain. That's the one. Behind- A chilling expose yeah. of the banking industry. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, it goes a lot deeper than that. It's a massive, it's, like, it's a tome, almost seven hundred pounds. It's an absolute it tome of a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it just doesn't talk about the banking industry. I mean, that's how it starts off, saying about how the banking system was created in the first place. But then it goes on to describe all the stuff that they've been able to do by the into the fact that they create money out of thin air. You know, um, that's given them the finances to do things like the world wars, you know, like all the other stuff that's going on. Well, for example, what's going on now? I mean, how the hell could they fund this normally? I mean, it just must have cost trillions. Yes, worldwide. good point. I think people kind of forget about yeah, that because we hear all these figures, John, um, you know, that, oh, we've purchased, you know, uh, 150 million doses is what they'll say of, of a particular vaccine, which is what they did here in Australia. And yet they haven't said how much that's actually, they haven't really come out with a figure to say how much that's that's cost. I mean, I've heard, I've heard numbers floating uh, $4 billion is what it's cost Australia so far for this, for the, just for the yeah. vaccine rollout, including the purchase of the vaccines and setting them up, sending them transport, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, so we're hearing us, you know, yeah. some figures, but we have not heard of where they're getting this money from to pay for all this. You're right. Yeah. But I mean, it's not just the vaccine, obviously. I mean, there's all the infrastructure behind it all as well. You know, all the glass, all the plastic panels in every shop, all, all the stickers mm. and leaflets advertising campaigns yes and it's just this constant 24 7 media barrage you know who's funding it and from where well i'll tell you from where it's from creating money out of nothing but you can bet your life when it's all over if it ever does get all over 
it's we poor suckers that will pay the pain for it through taxes, etc. Um, you know, so <clears throat> it's um, yeah. So I mean, the point I'm making is that the banking system is there to create this ability that they have to fund whatever uh, you know dastardly deeds they they need to fund in the future, uh, and that is exactly what they've done throughout history. And this is exactly what my book Behind the Curtain is about. It's not just about the banking system itself, because that would be a little bit boring. But, um, you know, it, it, it goes into all the different things that, that they've actually funded using it. Mm. Right. So take us, um, so that's a bit of a snapshot of, uh, of what we're discussing here. But um, let, yeah. let's try, let's, let's, where do we start? What was what I'm trying to say, John? Do we start with, um, you know, like, um, do we do we discuss what money actually is? You know, simply just a medium of exchange, yeah. and we go from there. Like, I mean, I, I the, yeah. what I know about the history of of money is that, you know, money as a as a tangible form has been things such as seashells and feathers and you know um, yes. wooden sticks and you know all this sort of stuff that have been. Um, you know, from what I heard, the the op one of the opening shares of the Bank of England when it first started was was purchased with a tally stick, a wooden tally stick, which was a representation right. of of how much wealth or gold someone had. Um, you know, like this is crazy. Like one of the, you know, you you purchase stock with a piece of wood. You know what I mean? Like that's really what it comes down to. So, yeah, yeah. um, it's fascinating. It has a really fascinating yeah, history. Mean, yeah, I mean, what it comes down to is the fact that you know. It, it, Obviously, for any monetary system to work viable, it has to have a scarcity, you know, whatever you're using as a medium of exchange has to have a scarcity value. I mean, you couldn't, for example, use leaves as a currency because, you know, everybody will be trillionaires and, yeah. that, and you know, the whole thing, it doesn't work. Like and they'll be worthless. Um, so yeah. there has to be scarcity value to it. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the tally sticks there, um, mm. wooden sticks. But what it was, it was they were long sticks. Um, you know, two to three foot long with notches in them, and these were split down the middle so that the notches matched it, matched on each side. So there was no way of forging them. Mm. Uh, and all they did was they just represented an amount of money in much the same way as you know dollar bills, pound notes are meant to represent an amount of money. They're not actually money themselves. They're just a a uh, well, originally they started off with a promise to pay pay the bearer. That's that right, promissory notes. That's yes. Exactly, yes, exactly, promissory notes. And that's exactly what these tally sticks were. And any other form of currency that they need. Um, but, you know, the, 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 way, the way that the money, money started in, in the first place, it, it obviously, it, originally it was things like... Um, you know, the modern money system, if you like, not not so much kind of barter back in the Stone Age when you, you know, perhaps they were exchanging, you know, a cow for two sheep or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, the way that the you know, actual money system began was uh, taking a scarce metal such as gold or silver and depositing that, that scarce metal with what were called goldsmiths, you know, which were the origins of the banks. Okay, so... You know, uh, and also the, the ancient money changes as well. You know, you hear, you read this in the Bible, not that I'm religious, but, you know, Jesus overturning the, yeah, apparently the tables of the money. Yeah, apparently kicked out the money changes, yeah, of the temple. Yeah, I remember that story as well. Yeah. 
That's right. And, and anybody who stands up to these money powers is ruthlessly ruthless destroyed, of course. Um, <clears throat> I mean, for example, Andrew Jackson, President Andrew Jackson in America, he rescinded the contract of the First Bank of the United States in the 1830s. Um, and then in, before that, in 45 BC, Julius Caesar rescinded the power to create coinage from the money changers and instead he minted coins for the benefit of all the citizens and, you know, uh, of the empire. And with this now plentiful money supply, he established many publicly beneficial projects and institutions and built lots of new houses and public buildings. And by making that money more plentiful and using it for the benefit of all instead of just a small exclusive clique, he won the love and the respect of the ordinary Roman people. But, unfortunately for him, the money changers, the bankers, as they you know, eventually came to be, despised him and swore bloody revenge on him, and this eventually culminated in his assassination, ostensibly by Brutus and his senatorial co-conspirators, but who in reality were themselves you know, in the pay of the money changers. At Abraham Lincoln, he attempted to issue currency outside of the central banking system. He, d he developed uh, the, the greenbacks, they were called, which, were, which was money that bypassed the central banking system, uh, as did JFK. Executive Order 11110 uh, was issued by Kennedy two months before he was assassinated. Now, even Adolf Hitler closed down the Reichsbank and started his own interest-free currency, and uh, look what happened to him. Look what happened to all of them. Andrew Jackson was attacked. I mean, he didn't succeed, but the, he was almost assassinated. Mm. Then the guy's gun jammed. Uh, Julius Caesar was uh, assassinated. Uh, Jesus himself, if you believe that, uh, you know, he he didn't last too long after that uh, overturning the tables in the temple. Um, Abraham Lincoln, JFK, Adolf Hitler, you know, these are people who stand up to the banking system. So, anyway, that's that's kind of a little aside. But going back to the beginning, <clears throat> by around AD 1000, uh, the money changes. Uh, goldsmiths, bankers, whatever you want to call them, gradually acquired control of the medieval money supply. Yeah, and at this time, this is when they actually did become known, a bit more respectably perhaps, as goldsmiths. Um, but the story of modern money actually began in Renaissance Europe around 500 years ago. And at that time, the currency consisted mainly of gold and silver coinage, with no paper money at all. As I said before, paper money was more of a receipt than, you know, the actual currency itself. Mm. Um, of course, gold coins were really durable and had intrinsic value in themselves, unlike paper currency, but they were heavy, they were difficult to transport in large quantities, and they were open to theft, if not stored securely. So as a result of this, the general population therefore began to deposit their coins with goldsmiths who had strong rooms and safes in which they stored the coins securely, and obviously without fear of theft. So what happened then was these goldsmiths, they issued paper receipts, which could be redeemed at any time for that stated amount of gold. And eventually these, obviously more convenient receipts, began to be traded themselves, instead of the less than convenient bulky coins they represented. So with the passage of time, the goldsmiths realized that only around 10% of these receipts were ever redeemed in gold at any one time. And they could quite comfortably lend the gold in their possession at interest time after time, as long as they ensured that they retained the 10% of the value of the outstanding loans in actual physical gold to meet any 
possible demand. So by this process, paper money, i.e. notes and bills, which were, as we say, in reality, receipts for loans of gold, was born. And notes could now be issued and loans made in amounts that were up to 10 times their actual gold holding. And at interest rates of 20%, that same gold could be lent 10 times over, yielding a 200% return every year. <clears throat> and this was backed by gold that didn't even exist. So this is, this is where we're going. This is where the current money system comes from. Of course, the goldsmiths were careful not to overextend themselves. And thus, they became very wealthy at the expense of the rest of the world without producing anything of any intrinsic value. And since only the principal was lent into the money supply, the money was eventually owed back in principal plus interest than the people as a whole possessed. They had to continually take out loans of new paper money to cover the shortfall, causing the wealth of the villages and towns and eventually entire countries to be diverted into the vaults of the goldsmiths whose identity by this time now become bankers, whilst the country began to systematically drown in debt. And this was the birth of the insidious system that we know now as fractional reserve banking, which then, as now, meant that the goldsmiths, bank, bank, bankers, or banksters, as I like to call them, were able to make <clears throat> astronomical amounts of money by loaning out uh, what were essentially fraudulent receipts. Uh, because they represented gold that the goldsmiths didn't even possess. Mm. And as they I gradually became more confident that their you know, game would never be discovered, they would loan out up to 10 times the amount they held in their depositories. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm rambling on here. If you want to jump in, please feel free. No, I was going to say, I heard, I, I, I did hear that that's, that was definitely the case, and it was only um, some of the, the bigger, most well-known like for example the Rothschilds because they weren't the only ones doing it but there was a lot of there was quite a few uh, of these goldsmiths that were doing this practice and uh, it, it apparently it happened a few times that the people got wind of their shenanigans and they they all rushed to to cash in these receipts so they could claim their gold and when the when the people yes. found out that they had nothing in their safes they a lot of these um, smaller goldsmith families and things other than the Rothschilds and some of the other bigger ones. Um, there was only one other one, like the Rothschilds and another one, I think. But anyway, they were hung. They would, they would, they hung them up in the town squares because they, they, you know, they were caught and being yeah. frauds, you know. Um, but for some reason, yeah. The, yeah. the Rothschilds were just too powerful. You know, they'd been doing it for too long and they escaped exactly. that sort of prosecution, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and what you're describing, in, in effect, is what is called a run on a bank. It's called a bank run. That's right, a bank run, yeah. It's happened, you know, in, it even happened in the 20th century, you know, uh, during the Great Depression in America, it happened, um, mm. you know, where people decide to take their money out of the bank because they're scared, because they've heard, you know, rumours it's going to fail or whatever. They all queue up outside the doors, the bank shuts the doors, we won't let them in to get the money. You know, the very few that do get the money out are okay, but most people lose everything and then the banks go down. Yeah, I mean it's absolutely it's it's, it's disgusting. Mm. Yeah, and I, and so, a lot of those bank know, runs were done by by design too to crash a lot of the smaller competitive banks and the bigger ones were the ones again to survive. Um, so it helped exactly. it helped to um, you know the, the the monopolies to you know they got rid of all the smaller competitive ones that they wanted to either take over themselves or buy out or whatever and they all folded but the the big yeah. ones still continued to, to pair on 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, the way that they do it is that they um, they keep control by switching the economy between high and low volumes of currency in circulation at any given time. When there's a lot of currency in circulation, it's called a boom. And when there's when they cut back, when they contract the the currency supply, that's called uh, you know bust. Mm. So you get this boom and bust cycle. And otherwise the known as the business it, cycle, they call that too. I heard. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's all smoke. You know, they, they, they control that by making money easier to borrow, which increases the money amount of money in circulation. And then suddenly, without warning, limiting the money supply again, you know, making loans more difficult to come by, and that kind of removed it from circulation. Um, and, and even suspending the issuance of loans altogether, which they have done in the past. Correct. Yeah. Um, so uh, money contraction oh, and money, um, yeah, when I mean, they make money plentiful by exactly. allowing loans at really low rates, and then. Um, that's why you know, it's. I think it happened here in Australia in the '80s. Interest rates were, you know, seventeen, fifteen, twelve percent. You know, massive, big, yeah. high interest rates. Um, but look at the rates now. Yeah, it's, it's like one percent, two percent. You know, three percent. My my home loan is currently sitting at like two percent. You know what I mean? Like, it's so low at the moment. Mm-hmm. Money is so plentiful. But with that comes when they yeah. when they flood the economy with money, you get inflation. So that's almost another hidden tax again too. So yeah, the buying power of the money in yeah. the circulation is is less and is worth less and less. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was in the in the seventeenth century, um, the central banking system was created as a you know as like the next phase, if you like. And the central banking system is what obviously we've got today with all the, I mean, I think it's every country in the world, apart from about three, mm. um, are enthralled to the Rothschild central banking system. Because the Rothschilds own it all, as you kind yep. of alluded to earlier. Um, you know, they then control the entirety of the, the money supply yep. uh, through the central banking system, which actually, some people may not know this, those who don't, um, the central banking system uh is not owned by governments. It's not controlled by governments. They're private enterprises, private institutions. Nobody knows who the shareholders are because they don't publish it. But obviously, we've got an idea of who they might be. Um, but these institutions actually lend all every country its own currency, which interest on upon which interest is payable. Yeah. So this is why <laughs> this is why the national debt is actually very very high and, and can never go down. Increasing. Yeah, it's because the the only way to repay this debt is by printing more money, which again has its own interest attached to it. So it's an ongoing thing, and and all that happens is the national debt increases, increases, increases. And who do we owe this national debt to? It's not to the people. It's not to uh, anybody other than the central bankers, um, and they are fantastically, incredibly rich as a result of that you know mm-hmm. in fact so rich that it just boggled people's minds as to how much money these people actually possess and the whole thing is fraudulent and what's one of the golden uh, yeah. rules john is that the the um the lender is sorry the the debtor is servant to the lender that's what it all comes down to we are the debt slaves and that's what it all it all comes down to isn't it yeah exactly yeah controlled controlled through um, debt yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how uh, loan, the loan and mortgage fraud works, if I may. Yeah, yeah, um, get into that for sure. You know, the, the, the premise of any loan from a, a bank or a building society, as we have in the UK, I don't think I'm building societies in the uh, 
in, in Oz. Um, but uh, the, the, those two institutions are where most people get their uh, loans and mortgages from. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the principle of, of that should be that that bank has a sum of money in reserve and therefore available to loan. And assuming you qualify as a borrower in terms of credit score, etc., mm-hmm. then the bank will loan you that money as long as you contract to repay it plus a, a fee, which is the interest. Okay. And in order to ensure that the bank doesn't lose its money, the bankers ask for beneficial interest, i.e. ownership, in your property. You know, this is, we're talking about a mortgage here, mm-hmm. uh, which is used on collateral for the loan until the contract is fulfilled, i.e. the loan's fully repaid. And this is how most of us are led to believe that any bank loan or mortgage transaction works. But unfortunately, this isn't true. It's pure fantasy. You know, firstly, the bank doesn't really care that much if you qualify when you can offer tangible property as collateral because they know that they can simply foreclose on the property without having actually risked anything to acquire it. Mm-hmm. And this adds significantly to their bottom line, of course. But they promote and maintain the illusion that the borrower qualifying for credit is important because this conceals their real activities. Now, secondly, once a potential borrower has been approved, Nothing then happens until he signs a promissory note, usually in the form of a loan application, and returns it to the bank. But how does the bank actually reflect this loan transaction in its books, I hear you ask? The borrower's note is deposited as an asset of the bank and is then credited to the bank's asset base. But according to the rules of double entry bookkeeping, and this is really important, the bank must now enter a debit entry to offset that credit entry, zeroizing the transaction. Mm-hmm. This is how finance works. So it should work. The account being debited is the bank's own checking account or demand deposit account. And in bookkeeping terms, a debit is a liability. Uh, remember that because we'll, report, we'll return to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But then what the bank actually does uh, is to deposit this prom- promissory note as money on its book. And they then transfer that money into the bank's own, own account as if it were their own. And they do so without the customer's permission. It's, and it's from this checking account that the bank transfers the loan to the borrower. So what it's actually doing is creating the money out of thin air, putting it into its own account and then transferring it to the customer. So it's just generating the money by computer keystrokes or as it used to be uh, with the stroke of a pen in a ledger and then just transferring the money to the, to, to the borrower. So it's actually created from nothing. Yeah. So that is obviously fraud and criminal conversion. So as I said before, a debit is a liability and the money deposited into the bank's checking account was a debit and therefore a liability. And yet the bank actually treats it as a credit. So it's not only not you know, moving money from its own account into the customer's account, <clears throat> It's actually adding that money into its own account. So rather, you know, it, it, so it benefits doubly in, in a sense. So not only does it not lose that money from its own account, but it actually gains by it. I mean, the whole thing is just absolutely crazy. What a scam, you know, hey. What a scam. All, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, so they transfer that same money to another account and then return it to the borrower in the form of a bank transfer. It's just totally and utterly fraudulent. You know, we assume that we're borrowing the bank's money and not our own. But in actual fact, what we're doing by 
uh, writing our signature on a on a on a loan application form, we are actually generating that money. So that money is ours, but they then steal it from us and lend it back to us at interest. Yeah. And that's it. Sounds crazy, but it's exactly how it works. You and, know? I, and I've heard yeah, from uh, from a few other different videos and sources and things where someone has approached you know the bank manager where they got their loan from and said you know and shown them money and said you know what is this and they're going well you know technically they're like oh it's a promissory note i'm like right he goes now he suddenly shows yeah. him his loan contract and says what is this and they're like well that's also yeah. a promissory note it's a promise to pay and he's like well if these two are both yes. promissory notes and he's just written on it and gone there yeah. you go there's my promissory note the loan the loan has now been paid you know and i can yeah. And then the bank manager was forced to accept it because that's what it was. It was just a promissory note, yeah. and he walked away with a with a home. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I there is a source for that, and I, I'm going to try and dig it up, and I'll put it in the show notes for, for the listeners as well. But uh, it was very cleverly yeah. done, and but yeah, it's that's that can be as as simple as it is because in in a sense that's what they're doing to us. Yeah. They're just creating this this money out of nothing because we've promised to pay it back. That's that's all it really comes yeah. down to, I, isn't it? I mean, I mean, and then, you know, the, and the great bit of the scam then is, of course, that you know they're lending you money which doesn't exist to buy a property that does exist and it does have a tangible value. Mm. And when you don't, when you, for example, if you renege on the uh, on the payments, they'll come and take your money, the, your house away from you, which does have a tangible value, and which they can then benefit from selling on. You know, so you know that they're actually uh, accumulating assets. By uh, you know by fraud in that respect as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I began the uh, my book behind the curtain by telling the story about of a guy called Jerome Daly in the states who was a lawyer, and who discovered this scam, and so he decided to challenge the bank. I mean, it will be going back to the 1960s now, so it's, it's mortgage for some ridiculous amount like fourteen thousand dollars, yeah. which you know I guess. I guess at the time was a lot of money, but nowadays it's uh, you know it's not much for a mortgage, is it? Um, so he actually challenged the banking system in court, and the judge at that time it was absolutely astounded because that Jerome Daly went on to explain to the court exactly how this uh, uh, this thing works, and uh, the judge found in his favour, and uh, the mortgage was. Uh, foreclosed the mortgage was ended you know yeah uh, and he got his home didn't have to pay it back yeah exactly yeah I think that's one of the ones I've heard of actually yeah three months later the judge uh, uh, mysteriously died of some kind of poisoning (laughs) Um, and so nobody I mean various different people have tried to use the uh, the, the, this the daily method yeah but it's never succeeded, or very, very occasionally it's succeeded by different people. And there's a famous case in the UK of a guy called Michael O'Bernasier who uh, managed to get several million pounds of the mortgages rescinded. Um, but it, it was a long, hard fight. It took him like 10 to 15 years and a lot of money. You have been listening to the General Knowledge Podcast. Please show your support for alternative independent media in Australia and join our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash real news australia you have meddled with the primal forces of nature
sir, Mr. Bill, and I won't have it. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. That is the natural order of things today. For themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't... ...fucking place. It's a big club. And you ain't in it. You and I are not in the big club. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beal? You get up on your little 21-inch screen and howl about America and democracy. There is no America. There is no democracy. There is only IBM and ITT and AT&T, and DuPont, Dow, Union Carbide, and Exxon. Those are the nations of the world today. The world is a college of corporations, inexorably determined by the immutable bylaws of business. The world is a business, Mr. Beale.